trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome to the show. I am so glad that you could join me today. This program is made possible by great sponsors like MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, also the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, HSLAmmo.com, and Pure-Light.com. There's a handy little section of the show notes, which I publish every time I publish an episode, and you can access those sponsors just by clicking on their respective links. You'll find them at the BrianHydeShow.com. It's always it's always a little bit of a struggle for me to to think okay there's good information there is solid information there's what I believe is really timely information but sometimes I hesitate because I worry that if I share this with you I worry that it's going to be seen as uh, you're trying to scare us here Bri <laughs> don't do that and I want to assure you my goal is not to to operate or to, to encourage you to operate from a position of fear or anger or hatred. But living in the times that we live in, sometimes there are some, um, can I just say, difficult truths that I think should be acknowledged. And one of the ones that has been looming big on my mind, and this is looking at the big picture, okay? This is not just looking at at politically what's going on. But uh, overall, looking at the economy, Looking at some of the natural disasters and things that are going on, looking at, uh, you know, just all the, the, the places where there is volatility in our, our world today. And I think we have good reason to be paying pretty close attention. Now, that doesn't mean oh, the end is coming. It just means we should pay attention. So at the risk of scaring anybody, I'm, I'm going to start with this story. And again, my goal isn't to scare you, but it is to, to make you stop and consider Can you remember what it was like back in early 2020 within the first couple of weeks of the lockdown? Do you remember what it was like to go into the grocery store and to see staples like milk and bread, flour, yeast? Oh, man, if you wanted to, well, we'll just bake our own bread at home. Good luck finding yeast. Canning lids like for mason jars. Good luck. Still hard to find those. Ammunition, primers, you know, I mean, there was a run on basically all of those things that people who think, hey, there may be hard times coming, you know, would be stocking up on. Toilet paper. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was one of the big ones. Hey, what are we going to do? Um, and in fact, there, we, we saw some extreme examples of people, you know, starting to to purchase up every bit of toilet paper they could. Fist fights in the store aisles and so forth. And I'm not asking you to remember this because I want you to be scared. Again, it's do you remember the discomfort that you felt when you saw with your own eyes what a little bit of panic combined with uncertainty for the future could lead other people to do? Now, I'm guessing you weren't one of the ones, you know, throwing hands in the toilet paper aisle because you had to get that last, you know, package of Charmin. 
But that was your first little taste. And for a lot of people, it was their very first taste of what it's like to see a breakdown in the supply chain. I came across an article. This was published on LouRockwell.com earlier today. The author is Tate or Aiden Tate. And the title is, What Would a Complete Supply Chain Breakdown Really Look Like? Now, this is just, you know, trying to to get you to think a little bit further into the future. If you had advance notice, if you had some kind of warning that tough times could be approaching, would you take steps to do something about it? In fact, before I dive into this article, I, I want to share with you a, a quote, because this one, this really grabbed me. Imagine hiding for two weeks, two months, two years, lost your business, lost a parent, lost your body freedom, lost your travel freedom, lost your free speech, coerced into an injection, then you catch COVID and die. So here's the question. Did you lose your life when you died or when you complied? We'll come back to that. But again, people who prepare for hard times or for the unexpected, they're not necessarily preparing because the apocalypse is on us. They're they're preparing because life is something that's worth preparing for. It's here's the difference. This was explained to me by a wilderness survival expert by the name of Jim Phillips. It's resonated with me. It's stuck with me. And I think it's still very relevant today. When you are prepared, number one, you don't fear. Yeah, you may be uneasy about what's going on. But, uh, you know, I can honestly say, having been, you know, a guy who's focused pretty hard on self-reliance and having backups and systems in place just in case for at least the last 27 years. When the store shelves started emptying out a year ago, last spring. In March of 2020, I really wasn't very nervous because I knew, hey, worst case scenario, I can't go to the store for a period of time, months even. We're still going to be okay. In fact, we're not only going to be okay, but we'll probably be able to help out our neighbors as well. That's peace of mind. But think about how you would kick yourself. If you had the chance to prepare, but then you you failed to do something when there was time to act. That's what I'm asking you to consider in looking at this article by Aiden Tate about a breakdown in the supply chain. Because there's still time to act on this. There's time to, to do something about it. And, and you don't have to act out of panic. Once panic enters the situation, well, we saw what that looks like. That's, that's what that mid-March uh, deer-in-the-headlights look in most people's eyes was like. As you saw people dragging two and three shopping carts around the store, trying to grab anything they could. Get all the canned vegetables you can. Get, get this. Get that. It was nuts. So let's shed a little bit of light on the situation here. Cyber Polygon 2020 is a a tabletop exercise that examined the threat of a complete supply chain breakdown. But what does that mean? Are we just talking no more toilet paper or is it something more sinister? So here's the, the breakdown as Aiden Tate describes it. When it comes to food, according to the American Red Cross, most Americans have less than three days worth of food in their homes. After three days with no food, starvation begins to set in. 
Grocery stores rely on just-in-time systems to get their food to their customers. Now, on average, this means that a grocery store has roughly a week's worth of food within its four walls at any given time. But you need to remember, that's a week's worth of food under normal circumstances. As the 2020 toilet paper situation showed, once people fear they can't get more of something, they stock up. So a week's worth of food at the grocery store could be gone in a matter of days or in a matter of hours. Grocery stores get their food from regional food distribution warehouses. Typically, these locations have a month's food supply present for all the stores in the area. Due to the increased demand from local grocery stores, that supply would likely vaporize within two weeks. Meaning one would enter a grocery store only to find in it nothing other than bare shelves. Now, as previously reported by the organic prepper, food shortages are a reality. You don't have a lot of time left before the items you can grab now are gone and gone for good. So Aiden Tate goes through some tips for shopping when there aren't many supplies left on the shelf and actually has a list of items that are usually imported from China that we just haven't been receiving in the same quantities, if at all, since the crisis began. You'll have to click on the story, but it's linked in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Today's show notes are for July 28th. Again, this isn't to make you fearful. This is to empower you with information that, if acted upon, could actually save you some heartache down the road. Here's one that I know people are feeling only because I'm watching the price of gas bumping up to, and in some cases, over the $4 a gallon mark. Further compounding situations would be the inability of truckers to deliver goods to the intended recipients. Semi-trucks with no fuel would mean a complete failure for the city for the city's food supplies. And after the aforementioned three-day food window, a significant majority of people in urban areas would begin to go hungry. Now, Aiden Tate also links to a previously published piece on just how fast things could go sideways in America in just five days without trucks moving supplies across the country. That's just one thing that could change the world as we know it. You see, on average, food travels 1,500 miles from the farm until it reaches your plate. Most people don't realize that. It's, now nah, we'll just go to the store. We'll get more. But where does the store get the food? I don't know. They, they, they have ways. Think about the implications of cities not having the food they need because of lack of food or lack of fuel. It wouldn't take long to see violence start to break out. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to mention that I have great sponsors who make this program possible. If you go to the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com, you'll see each of the sponsors listed and you will find a hyperlink that will take you directly to their website or to their email so that you can uh, can get in touch with them. I hope you'll do so. There's some there's some really relevant uh, sponsors here and, and they're great people. And even if you just want to tell them, hey, your message reached my ears, even if you don't need the product or service that they're offering at this moment. They love to hear that their message is actually getting to you, and I would greatly appreciate it because it helps to uh, keep them happy. Let's them know that uh, my my growing audience of five listeners, I may have six now, not sure, but uh, six listeners 
are tuned in. So I've been sharing this article here from Aiden Tate. This is from the organicprepper.com, a complete supply chain breakdown. And this is not to get you fearful or get you in a scarcity mindset. It's just to to point out there's a lot we take for granted that we expect. Well, it's going to be there. When I go to the grocery store, there's going to be what I need. Until there isn't. And it doesn't have to be because of some governmental disaster or riots or something like that. Although, if you were paying attention, I don't think American media said much of anything about what was taking place the last few weeks in South Africa. But there was some very serious unrest. One of the first things that the mobs did, they targeted infrastructure, meaning power plants and wastewater treatment plants. They also targeted food distribution warehouses. And when I say targeted, I mean they went in and they looted it and destroyed it. And all the food that was there is gone. Meaning that the grocery stores throughout South Africa, particularly near the population centers, they won't be resupplied for months. Now, I don't know. Was it deliberate? Was it, uh, you know, just an organic uprising? I couldn't tell you. I'm not uh, overly familiar with the dynamics of uh, what, what I understand to be some pretty convoluted politics taking place there in South Africa. But my point is this. Millions upon millions of people counted on their grocery stores having food on the shelves, even though, you know, they've had a little more tumultuous time than we have here in America. They can't count on that. So maybe this is one of those times you want to play the what if game. Well, what would I do? Do I have the skills to grow a garden? Do I have a greenhouse? Do I know somebody who has a farm? You know, th- there there are solutions, but the, the time to start mapping this stuff out and having solutions in place is before you realize, holy cow, those grocery stores aren't going to be, you know, resupplied. When it comes to gas, there's another one. I mean, it's this is something that I'm, I'm painfully aware of just because uh, now I live in an area that's very, very um, agriculturally supported. I mean, it, there, there is so much agricultural commerce going on where I live. It's really a beautiful thing. I love seeing field after field of corn and potatoes and peas and sugar beets and and know that this is this is an area that is capable of producing an immense amount of food. But in the back of my mind, I'm also thinking, hmm. If there weren't fuel to power the farm machinery, if there weren't fuel to power the generators that run the pumps that get the irrigation water, you know, this uh, this could break down fairly quickly. You know, cascading catastrophes. Let's talk about medicine from a healthcare standpoint. Aiden Tate says a post crap hitting the fan world looks quite grim. Shortages at the pump would make it much more difficult for healthcare workers to arrive at their jobs. Rationing of gas would likely be given priority to nurses, doctors, ambulances, police officers. However, many patients would not be able to even get to the hospital. Effectively stranded in their homes, people would be unable to seek access to health care. Maybe even afraid due to the extent of the riots right outside their doors. Due to gasoline shortages, necessary supplies wouldn't show up to the hospitals either. Surgeons would be unable to perform procedures due to a lack of saline or gloves or sterile tools, etc. Likewise, pharmacists could soon run out of their medicine stores. Once they run out, that would be it. Kind of makes you wonder, what could you do? Also, emergency services. Healthcare workers would have a difficult enough time making their way to work, but they wouldn't be the only ones. While police officers would very likely be given priority with gas supplies, there's still an excellent chance they wouldn't be able to do their jobs effectively. 
The number of emergency calls would skyrocket as crime and health emergencies increase. There's also the possibility that many police officers, paramedics, nurses, firemen, and so on, would refuse to show up for their shifts. Now, it's not because they became irresponsible or suddenly they became selfish, but they have families that they have to take care of as well. Now, suppose that you have some violent riots going on outside. Widespread looting and home invasions occur as people search for food and water and whatever else they want or whatever else they feel they need. In that case, some people will feel compelled to ensure that their families are safe first. That's why they're going to that's why these first responders may stay at home. Now, when it comes to electricity, that's a hard one to put a finger on. There are a vast number of means by which power stations stay operational. Gasoline is one of those. As already noted, there should, should there be a gasoline shortage, there would be an electricity shortage at gas-operated plants. Would power plant workers feel compelled to stay home rather than attend work? Would other necessary gear be delivered to the power plants in time for them to function effectively? A lot of what-ifs here that can't be nailed down as wholly. Either way, it's highly likely electricity won't be anywhere near as plentiful as it is right now. What would you do? without things like refrigeration, without things like air conditioning. So what can you do to prepare for such an event? Well, one of the great things about prepping is it's so versatile. While your original intent may have been to just prep for three months of potential unemployment, your preps will also serve to help you with hurricane season, civil unrest, EMP, and a whole lot more. See, prepping is a single decision that has broad implications, including a complete supply chain breakdown. So that said, there's no reason not to begin prepping. And, uh, and Aiden Tate says, look, I highly recommend reading some of the available resources in the Organic Preppers Learning Center online classroom and bookstore. There really is a wealth of information here. And there are links throughout this article that would be worth your time. So take a deeper dive. Visit the show notes at the and uh, pull a few threads. See where they lead you. And if you're looking to learn more about how a complete supply supply chain breakdown works, Tate recommends reading the report of the commission to assess the threat to the United States. This gives you a real good feel for how everything is intertwined. So what you can do to prepare, regardless of whether or not you're concerned about a complete supply breakdown or not, you do what you can. It's just too versatile, too uh, versatile of a habit not to have. And there's even a place if you want to comment after the story. He asks people, "Tell me what you think. Do you think this is likely? Is it is it something that could happen?" You know, my answer is I don't know, but I know that I feel better when when you know these things come up. Um, I started to tell you the quote about Jim uh, Phillips, you know, who who's a survival expert. And he said, when you're prepared, what could be uh, an ordeal simply becomes an adventure. Do you understand that distinction? It's not like we were having fun you know, watching you know, things crumble around us. But when you have options, it's not nearly as traumatic. And, and, you, and more importantly, you have the ability to, to help not just your family, but perhaps to help your neighbors. I will tell you this, too. It's a very good idea to have in mind the people that you know, the people that you can trust, and have some teamwork going with them. I know we all want to think I can lone wolf McQuaid my way through anything, but the truth of the matter is, 
if if there was a serious breakdown, you're going to need some help because you're going to need people paying attention around the clock. Many hands make light works, work rather, and many different skill sets also benefit everybody. So there you have it. If that, uh, if that strikes you as, boy, Brian, you shoveled a lot of fear our direction today. I'm sorry, it really wasn't my intent. I'd like to think I shoveled a few solutions or at least a few possibilities that you know, could help uh, do an end run around that fear because you have the means to deal with unexpected circumstances. When we come back, we're going to talk about the growing crisis of legitimacy. That's what really scares the political class. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I so appreciate those of you who uh, make it possible to um, get the word out that this broadcast exists. I'm not going for the biggest audience in the world, but I want to reach the people who are actively looking for information that can give them a better idea of what's going on. Give them a little bit of a boost in in being willing to stand apart from the crowd, to, to break free of the group think that unfortunately is being imposed in so many corners, to own their own worldview, to, to own their autonomy, their rights, and uh, for those who really get it to stand up. And, uh, you know, assert their influence wherever they happen to be standing. By the way, I also appreciate sponsors like uh, like the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George. If you are in the market for a home, let's say, for instance, you're one of the many, many people moving to Utah right now. And there's there's an immense amount of growth. The real estate market is, you know, it's it's hotter than uh, (laughs) it's hotter than the middle of the sun. It is really just booming right now. Time is of the essence when it comes to getting your dream home. In other words, you have to have your financing squared away. The Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage brings decades of experience to the table. They know what the lenders need. They know what you need as a borrower. And from VA loans to traditional loans to reverse mortgages or even refinancing an existing mortgage, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage can get you the loan you need without delay. NMLS ID 715386. They are an equal housing opportunity lender, and you can stop by Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George at 619 South Bluff Street or call 435-703-4522. So we talked a little bit about uh, breakdown in the supply chain, right? Scary stuff, or at least it, it would be intimidating. I, I would be one, even with uh, you know years and years of, of being prepared and self-reliance. It would create some pretty serious obstacles. I would not just continue to live a carefree life. I'd have to adapt, and so would pretty much everyone else. But you know what the greatest fear of the political class is? It's not a food shortage. It's not a shortage of fuel or electricity. They are terrified of losing legitimacy in the eyes of the people that they wish to rule. This is why they have fact checkers working for them through the main, uh, the big tech, social media platforms and so forth. Everything you say has to be fact checked. By the way, how would you like to be the fact checker who got pulled off, you know, debunking, you know, COVID misinformation to have to fact check? Did President Biden say something about having his butt wiped? I don't know. That, but there's such a desire to control what people think so that they can maintain legitimacy. And if at the risk of sounding a little conspiratorial here, 
I believe this push to move us back toward lockdowns, and, and I understand that there have been a number of Republican governors as well as Democratic governors meeting with White House officials about returning to lockdowns. Maybe we'll see a federal declaration of a lockdown. I don't know how that's going to fly. And in fact, I'll tell you this, it won't fly if these elected officials have lost legitimacy in the eyes of the electorate. There was an article Jim Bovard wrote, uh, I think this was last year. Yeah, this was uh, July of 2020 that this was published. Political legitimacy dies in 2020. And Jim Bovard says the American political system may be on the eve of its worst legitimacy crisis since the Civil War. Early warning signals indicate that many states could suffer catastrophic failures in counting votes in November. Yeah, he called that right. (laughs) The election will occur amidst vast economic devastation inflicted by a political class that responded to COVID by seizing almost unlimited power. And deep state federal agencies have already proven they will trample the law to sabotage election results. Now, remember, this was written before the 2020 election. So, yeah, maybe he has the gift of prophecy or maybe this guy just is paying attention and has has been around Washington enough to understand how it operates. He said last year, America could see a hundred times worse replay of the Florida presidential balloting 20 years ago in the Bush Gore showdown. Some Florida counties had antiquated voting equipment, while others had harebrained ballot designs that confounded voters. The Florida Supreme Court ordered a manual recount of disputed votes, but the Supreme Court, in a 5-4 to decision, stopped the recount because it could result in a cloud upon what George W. Bush claims to be the legitimacy of his election. Justice Antonin Scalia wrote, and then two days later, the same court majority blocked any subsequent recounting because it was not well calculated to sustain the confidence that all citizens must have in the outcomes of elections. Unfortunately, legitimacy blocked legitimacy rather via blocked recounts may also be the epithet for the 2020 presidential election again. Bovard called this correctly. Because of the pandemic, many states are switching primarily to mail-in voting, even though experiences with recent primaries were a disaster. In New York City, officials are still struggling to count mail-in ballots from the June primary. Up to 20% of ballots were declared invalid before even being opened based on mistakes with their exterior envelopes. That's according to the Washington Post, thanks largely to missing postmarks or signatures. In Wisconsin, more than 20,000 primary ballots were thrown out because voters missed at least one line on the form, rendering them invalid. Some states were mailing ballots to all the names on the voting lists, providing thousands of dead people the chance to vote from the grave. And at the time, President Trump claimed that the shift to mail-in voting could result in the most corrupt vote in our nation's history. Now, Trump is often wrong on issues, says Jim Bovard, but even a New York Daily News article tagged the recent primary results a dumpster fire. Delayed election results and potentially millions of disputed ballots could minimize support for whoever is designated the next president. Elections supposedly choose which candidates are selected to follow the law and uphold the Constitution. But he says the COVID shutdown dictates vividly how political power is now practically unlimited. 
Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer prohibited all public and private gatherings of any size, prohibiting people from visiting friends and also prohibited purchasing seeds for spring planting in stores after she decreed that a non-essential activity. Oregon Governor Kate Brown banned the state's 4 million residents from leaving their homes except for essential work, buying food, and other narrow exemptions. She also banned all recreational travel, even though much of her state had almost zero COVID cases. So in the name of reducing risks, politicians entitled themselves to destroy tens of millions of jobs. Permitting governors to shut down churches was not on the ballot, but that didn't stop many states from banning worship services at the same time politicians cheered mass protests that scorned stay-at-home orders. Now, the media has often whitewashed the damage from COVID power grabs in part because every restriction was supposedly justified by science. After New York Governor Andrew Cuomo dictated that nursing homes must admit COVID patients, more than 6,000 elderly nursing home residents were killed by the coronavirus. By the way, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but uh, it sounds like uh, Cuomo has dodged any kind of legal repercussion or criminal repercussions for making that horrific decision, which was concealed by members of his administration. They kept the numbers from the press because we didn't want to make things look bad. Yeah, like, you know, killing thousands of people would do. I can't imagine why. Cuomo has yet to reveal the si- which science textbook spawned this policy, which several other states also imposed. Gretchen Whitmer, we're looking your direction, too. Were those state governments grossly incompetent or were they murderous? Asks James Bovard. Well, it doesn't matter, because Trump made rude comments about NIH honcho and media darling Anthony Fauci. What's the point of voting for politicians who nearly need to invoke dubious statistical extrapolations to sow death and economic devastation? Finally, he asks, does the presidential election even matter? Deep state federal agencies are a Godzilla that have established their prerogative to undermine, if not overturn, election results. The FBI has achieved saint-like status among many liberals for its efforts to topple Trump. For almost three years, the nation's political life was roiled by an investigation driven by false allegations that the Trump campaign colluded with Russia in the 2016 election. As George Washington University professor Jonathan Turley observed last week, the media continues to ignore one of the biggest stories in decades. The Obama administration targeted the campaign of the opposing party based on false evidence. All right, let's cut to the chase. Federal legitimacy hinges on the Constitution, says Jim Bovard, but there's not a snowball's chance in hell that either Trump or Biden will make America constitutional again. As Thomas Jefferson declared in 1786, an elective despotism was not the government we fought for. What's the point of voting if government under the law is not a choice on Election Day? American political legitimacy will continue plummeting as long as any politicians scorn any legal and constitutional limits on their power. It's an impressive piece, but to me, what makes it even more impressive is the fact that Jim Bovard wrote this a year ago. I'd say he called it uh, right down the middle. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. All right, so I'm talking about trust issues. Yeah, I guess I'm hanging my dirty laundry out here for everybody to see. But can you understand why I have trust issues with with politicians? If they're not willing to abide by the very document, the Constitution, that they swear to uphold... Yeah, it's it's pretty tough to put any faith in anything that they're, they're telling me to do. So, you know, I don't care. They declare another lockdown. Do what you want. It isn't going to change how I'm living my life one whit. I'm not going to be putting on the mask. I'm not going to be, you know, abiding by, well, you can't go here and you can't go there. You know, the only place where you may have me over a barrel is air travel. But uh, I'm not a masochist, so I wasn't going to submit to that anyway. You know, the tactical tickles from the TSA and whatever. Yeah, just not my thing. By the way, another institution that's suffering from diminishing legitimacy is the CDC. I'm including a link in today's show notes that is a very clear and concise timeline of all the different policy announcements and subsequent reversals the CDC has thrown at the American public over the last year and a half. And it's crazy. Some of these are just, you know, from a couple of weeks ago. All right, we can take the masks off. Well, now we're advising even the vaccinated people continue to wear masks if they're indoors where there are other people. The CDC is saying that school children should all be wearing masks, you know, when they go back to school. Anybody in a public school should be masked. And I have to wonder, is this another occasion where uh, these public school and even local local officials are going to, you know, bend the knee? Are they going to kiss the ring of the CDC and do exactly what they're told? I don't know. It's pretty revealing when you see the back and forth here and start to, to think, you know, even even mainstream media is beginning to run stories questioning. Why is the CDC saying this now? And and when they just said this. Why are we giving I mean, who elected them? Why should they have any policymaking power in the first place? Really, the CDC, you know, they enacted a moratorium on evictions. Where did they get the power to do that? Did the American people delegate that power to them or did they just take it under themselves? Pretty bad news. But I guess if we're going to have trust issues, that's a good place to have one. By the way, the new variants of the of COVID are keeping a good portion of the public off balance, unsure of who or what to believe. Found an excellent article by Joaquin Book. This is from the American Institute for Economic Research. Resource, <laughs> research the race to win COVID finity. Joaquin Book always has a good take on stuff. So here's here's what he says. He says shifting the goalposts is the patented approach of all totalitarians. Snatch away a little bit of freedom. Harmless, right? Relax. It's for a good cause. Temporarily hand some of that freedom back, but never all of it. Reminding everyone we're still withholding freedoms for a good cause, even if the targets, methods, and reasons have all shifted. And then repeat forever. That's how we got massive governments, massive welfare warfare states, large-scale invasions of privacy and dignity, and the unending path to freedom that we're experimenting with these days. But he says, what has absolutely baffled me since last spring is that there aren't riots on the streets. Where are the mobs denouncing their autocratic leaders? Where are the people with pitchforks screaming about rights? Liberties that everybody paid lip service to until about five minutes ago are gone, temporarily suspended, followed by hand-waved and empty arguments about your civic duty to other people's health. Still, he says, most people succumbed and agreed, indeed, wanting more. The science is settled, we've learned. The pandemic is real and extraordinarily dangerous. 
And even though it's only a danger for the old and immunocompromised, all policies must apply across the demographic board. Anything less would fail the test of equity and solidarity, like the romanticizing of world wars, especially by those who didn't have to endure them, where rich and poor died together, shared the horrors of the trenches or the fear in the air raid shelters as allies and equals. In our invisible war, we too shall suffer the injustices of COVID policies together. Now, he says some of those arguments initially made some sense. Here's this brand new thing we don't understand that seemed deadly and spread fast and invisibly and with an unclear pathway. And our hospitals were apparently hopelessly understaffed, so only a tiny shock could collapse the whole system with millions and millions of dead. He says, even some of my clever friends repeatedly invoke this supreme unicorn argument. If we don't do X, we'll run out of hospital beds and then everybody dies. It's better to act now than to wait until we have an epidemic of hospitalizations, said every health czar across the planet. And most incredulous citizens believed them, regardless of how poor the evidence was or off the mark the silly models were. Never mind that we have about zero indication anywhere that hospitals ran out of capacity or that they have the ability to prioritize, even if they did or expand capacity in an emergency should they need to. The military hospital ship that was sent into New York City with the grandeur at the height of the outbreak last year mostly remained empty before it was unceremoniously removed. The privately funded and express-raised field hospital in Milan, Italy, during its worst moments last year, mostly sat unused before it was dismantled. Same in Stockholm, Sweden, and across many U.S. states. And what's worse, the full hospital fear was one of the contributing factors for New York's infamous killing policy last year to force nursing homes full of old, susceptible, and highly COVID-vulnerable people to receive those recently discharged so that we could free up space in hospitals. This mistake spread infections to the worst possible places. That was the fault of trigger-happy, panic-ridden policies, not teenagers who wanted to party on the beach. But even if the argument did make sense, he says, let me just get this straight. In order to prevent innocent people suffering from ordinary ills like cancer or diabetes or car accidents being refused hospital care, we front run that chimera by canceling such treatments and dissuading people from coming to hospitals so that we can free up space for potential COVID patients. We guaranteed collateral damage for very mysterious benefits. And the price for this mistake is slowly revealing itself. Homicides, overdoses, suicides, delayed surgeries, and treatments leading to thousands of additional deaths from cancer alone. He says this was never about public health. And how can we tell? The next step of this grand government takeover has arrived, and it's the most predictable of all. Wave the fears of another disaster, never mind the order of magnitude lower urgency. Alistair Heath comments on the situation in Britain where safety through vaccines and antibodies is apparently insured, but where COVID derangement syndrome still rules its leaders. Quote, Britain would never have locked down had the original wave been this mild. And yet there appears to be widespread support among swaths of the public for continuing with all sorts of precautions for as long as any risk of COVID remains in practice forever. Joaquin Book says we got about 40 rounds of flattening the curve and two weeks to save the NHS, but the National Health Service doesn't look more saved now than at any point during the pandemic. 
He says, at least this weekend, I finally got some pitchforks. Medical freedom protests in London, though about a year too late. The Israeli prime minister claimed the science was unequivocal that vaccines work, are safe and effective before threatening to make the unvaccinated second class citizens. Well, people didn't like that. And it wasn't exactly reassuring that he threatened heavy crackdown by government power if he didn't get his way. One wonders if the science were that clear and the message so equivocal. What's the need for theatrics and hysterics? In France, Macron faced the same problem after unscientifically demanding a 100% vaccination rate or else. Well, the French didn't like that, and they took to the streets only to get beaten by the police. So what do we make of all this? Joaquin Book says, well, like most people, I was shocked at what was going on last spring and a tiny bit proud of my native Sweden when it didn't lose its mind as quickly and thoroughly as everyone else did. But he says, a few months in, I noted the eerie transformation, foresaw the irresistible power grab of politicians and government officials, and was proven right when Sweden, too, gave in to the same tyrannical policies everyone else was was wielding. Over the course of the pandemic and before then, he says, I'm guilty about being cynical about the powers of government and of information delusion on the part of the public. But he says, so far, my cynicism has served me rather well. He says, good people permit horrors, argues Barry Brownstein on these pages, out of a combination of fear, ignorance, and not to annoy your neighbor. You don't speak up, said Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the master chronicler of how good people do bad things, because you don't want to inconvenience those around you. Maybe it doesn't affect them. Maybe they aren't as passionate about liberty as you. Maybe they just want to get through their day without another chant about revolution. So you hold your tongue. Besides, if you make a big fuss in the store, in public, or in conversing with agents of the government, most people wouldn't side with you. Loudly complaining in the face of power makes you seem deranged rather than erudite. Every man, writes Solzhenitsyn in the Gulag Archipelago, always has handy a dozen glib little reasons why he is right not to sacrifice himself. Thankfully, we're seeing some people object to oversized government crackdowns about an order of magnitude too little and about a year too late. Joaquin Book says it doesn't matter what future threat will will look like or how damaging the Delta or Epsilon variant's current seem. Currently seem, rather. He says, I'm not primarily afraid of them nor the Zeta, Eta, or Theta variants in the making. He says, I'm afraid of Omega, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Though he says, I don't think it'll be a string of, of pretty lame coronavirus, but probably something considerably worse. This is The Brian Hyde Show.